0: In this episode, we're going to open up with a show and tell. I brought another one of my magazines here, this one from the 60s. i going to read one of these stories, or at least uh, part of it. I'm going to go through um, a couple cultural things, some old-time music, Elizabeth Cotton. Um, there's a new movie trailer I'm curious about, I want to get Chorus' reaction to. And then I wanted to kind of discuss the decline of social standards. Why Walmart, why people of Walmart even exists. Uh, and then maybe if we have time, i will get into the hot and heavy. Okay, um, before we get into it, if you guys would be so kind, support the show. We have St. Poncho candles made by my mother. She hand pours them here in, Sam, um, sorry, in Bosque Farms, New Mexico. Uh, we got like 8 cents, 10 cents, something like that. Uh, and if, if you go through uh, to, I think it's com forward slash p o n c h o St. Poncho, you can uh, type in the code FGS10 for 10% off. Uh, also, giving you guys a heads up warning, working on my fall heritage collection, and it will be available November 10th. So set your calendars.
1: Dude, these, these candles are no joke, too. They smell really good. And uh, speaking from experience, if you leave one on all night into the morning, it won't burn down your house. It'll get really close, yes. but it won't burn down your house. Good, good, good. Uh, me and my wife experienced that last week. Oh, it no. fantastic waking up. And uh, you know when, when there's a smell, you're like, oh, wow, that's really great. And then, oh, my God. Yeah. What happened? Yeah, be careful. Yeah, be careful. But they're killer. <laughs> they're and, metal tins.
0: Uh, they don't look like it, but they're metal tins. They are. They're metal. So they're, they're reusable.
1: They have this like ceramic coating almost, it feels like, but yeah metal tins and they smell so good we're rocking the uh tobacco over here
0: yeah really good stuff chad thanks how can people get uh some design work dude they can go
1: to choruspedia.com if you need a logo you need a t-shirt you need some graphics done hit me up
0: uh i'll do it for you i got you all right with that let's get into the show All right. Frontier Times. This is one of the magazines. These are real cheap. They originally sold for $0.35 a week. I believe this is weekly. This one might not be weekly. The Frontier Times. It's crazy. All this stuff on the back was brand new. That's another thing we did on the show once. I think early on, the design of cars. We're going to get into that later in the show with the decline of standards in society. But um, this too this great design. I like the color specifically. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to get into this. I want to show you a couple pages in it real quick. Frontier Post. There's a bunch of stories. This one's the cow. Cow by the tail. So I guess they do them in parts. Like they might have pr- the previous week done a... Part one. This is part two. And then they got the fiddling trapper. They got real pictures. They're real stories, real people. So cool. And so this is just generally the West, but it, you know, it's Oklahoma, Kansas. I've seen some stories. The Invisible Death at Delamar. A Rider of the Wild Country. Why don't you hit that music? The Santa Fe Trader. Of all the individualists who made their fortune Plying the long road to the southwest Greg was the queerest and loneliest <laughs> Uh oh And by queerest Watch out for Craig. I can't believe Yeah I don't think I meant gay uh, But you never know What is the definition? Because gay used to be a, Have a gay old day or time was not it? From a I song? think
1: queer just meant odd Oh uh, Let me look up the traditional Meaning. like
0: a- abnormal yeah <laughs> the man who was afraid
1: odd peculiar or eccentric
0: eccentric okay yeah. that makes sense so let me read one real quick uh, keep that going this is an awesome one here this is called the lawman from lawman lawman the lawman from Arizona he was a sheriff Commodore Owens had to take on four men and practically no one was worried about the outcome except the four people he was stalking. Sheriff Commodore Perry Owens rode into Holbrook, Arizona territory and stopped at Brown Kinder's Livery Stable. (laughs) I'm a terrible reader. The time was about 4 p.m. September 4th, 1887. At the stable, he met Livery, Sam Brown, and Justice of the Peace, D.S. Harvey. The men said howdy, as Commodore dismounted and started tending his horse. Both men had become used to the Apache County Sheriff's peculiar name and odd appearance. To a stranger, however, Commodore was was a startling sight, standing five feet, one inches. I'm just kidding. (laughs) would be funny. Uh, <laughs> sitting five feet, ten inches tall. He had a somewhat athletic appearance. His lean body was rough and wiry. His hands were of average size. <laughs> it literally <laughs> says that. But his feet were small. <laughs> this is gold, dude. I love it so much. How funny. It's a long story. I won't read it all, but <laughs> I just had to give a little... Test taster. Um, taste tester? Said it the other way around. Strike that, reverse it. If you guys want me to read full stories, actually, the Chorus came up with that idea, I think it was two weeks ago, of uh, reading a couple of these stories, some music, and some Foley, and maybe like do them for like kids' stories or something. I think that'd be pretty cool. But yeah, this is just one of them. Like, I will be reading these to my kids. And I, I have read a, a, a story or two. But the imagery, the text, we we're talking about the design in these things, the ads, I, I, that was one thing I wanted to take note of. So this, um, cartoons, that's so funny. The Mexican cowboys, but, uh, all the ads are like guns and scopes and stuff.
1: They know the target audience, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. You don't really see that type of thing anymore, huh? Guns, ads, oh, Gun. boots.
1: No, it's like a... It's like a no-no. You can't advertise for guns.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Didn't they do that on Fox or something where they were advertising guns for kids? Like a 22 for a kid? Oh, really? Yeah, and they got mad at him. Yeah, this is the ad. You could just look at the ads in this and it's great. Anyway, the Frontier Times. That's fun stuff. Can you pull up that Elizabeth Cotton? Have you ever heard of her? No, I haven't. She's awesome. She's, um, I think she was, she got famous singing a, a a song way, way, way back when as a kid. And I just, I wanted to bring her up because she plays the guitar left-handed and upside down. Obviously, she plays a regular right-handed guitar strung for a right-handed played Dude, left-handed.
1: She's doing the Jimi Hendrix before Jimi Hendrix.
0: Yeah, she she pioneered this stuff here. Hold on, go back a little bit, because she explains it.
2: I'm gonna play freight train. And I'm gonna play it in the style of cotton picking style. That's with two fingers. The, this finger and that one. And my thumb. That's two fingers, see. And when you play with three, it's uh right Keep going. style. But I'm gonna play this in cotton-picking style.
0: See what she's doing with her pointer finger right there? She's doing the alternate bass. Interesting. And I do that with my thumb. Everyone else does that with their thumb. Pretty crazy. Freight train. Freight train runs so
1: fast. Isn't she adorable? Freight train runs so fast. Is this a standard tuning? Can you tell? tell?
0: I believe it is. But like I said, it's
1: played in an odd way. <laughs>
0: that would be so hard to do. Like all our shapes and everything are backwards. Like I think Jimi Hendrix did he play upside down as well? He played upside down, yeah, because
1: he was because he was left-handed and it was hard to come by guitars like that. So he would play the guitar upside down, but he would string the strings the right way, I think.
0: That's what so I'm saying. So he
1: would like shave out the Well because he was left handed.
0: Yeah. But you're saying that he he strung it the way that you'd play regular. Yeah, he left-handed. strung it properly. Oh, okay. Cause she's playing it upside down. Yeah. Where the bass is on the bottom. Or yeah, I don't know. I think there's a formal way of saying it, but top is bottom, bottom is top, something like that. <clears throat> Like the low string is actually the low string, which is the top string. It's confusing. Anyways, Elizabeth Cotton, her name's spelled C-O-T-T-E-N, not O-N, which I thought was funny. So there's this movie I saw the trailer for, and I was like, you know what? I've not seen a movie in a while. Actually, no, that's not true. I saw one a couple months ago. What did I see? I saw it Mission Impossible, but I'm not a big movie guy anymore. I'm not a big Hollywood fan. Um, but I saw this did you did you have it pulled up Na- Napoleon the movie with classic
1: Joaquin Phoenix oh I love Joaquin Phoenix dude I
0: think it's the same director or producer or something as Gladiator
1: it's an Apple TV production yeah that's pretty sick
0: gosh he's got such tortured eyes yeah, he
1: does.
0: You've seen um, Gladiator, yeah?
1: It's been a long time but I have, yeah.
2: What is this costume you have on? This is my uniform.
0: So I'm such I'm so into history right now. History, theology, philosophy. I'm just like wanting to understand and explore all these things. And it sucks Because I'm like Shoot man All of history Has been A a dominant narrative Has been accepted And I'm not It's hard to accept it As absolute truth Like we were talking Before the show About Abraham Lincoln And The South Like how How much of our history Is just Obviously you've heard that saying that um, history is told by the victors or something like that. Like I was even hearing about the, this is the French Revolution, right?
1: Yeah.
0: How there was kind of a Christian order to things and then it became a secularized...
1: Yeah, I've heard it described that that the downfall of the French Revolution was that it was godless, unlike the American Revolution.
0: Yeah. I hear they're quite similar, actually, though, too. Obviously, you know, when you hear or listen to or read um, Declaration of Independence, there are s- certain things about God, but it is still kind of more. Kind actually, of vague. Li- yeah, and I listened to this today, and it was this idea of um, a naturalist, naturalist deist? Uh natural deist. Is that a thing? Can you look that up? A natural deist. But it had something to do with the French Revolution as well as the uh, American Revolution. It was kind of this like, um, it's brought on by a bunch of these like philosophers at the time. I, I wish I knew more, but anyways, I, I was listening to funny enough, a take of it today by, um, what's his name? N.T. Wright. I'm curious with this guy's position on a couple things. N.T. Wright. I think he's an Anglican. Um, theologian. Uh, Paul. Whatever. <laughs> Whoa. I'm not uh, sure
1: if this is the same thing I'm seeing. Natural deist. They're saying that's like the worship of nature, which would be he, more pagan.
0: So Yeah, and it's kind of like, you know, he, he was kind of describing, he's like, there's the idea of presuppositionalism. So because you can't get to certain conclusions without a degree of presuppositions of like, yeah, that's because God said so. But that wasn't satisfactory enough in certain philosophy or re- re- reasoning circles in these eras. The, the, the people that kind of spurred these on, like I guess Thomas Jefferson was a natural deist, if I'm not mistaken. And so they're not necessarily like Christian. They believe in God, but in a vague way. And when they believe in God, they believe in an informer of nature, but they don't believe in, like, the Christian God. Interesting. Necessarily. And so, you know, when you and I were having the conversation on the Christian Nationalist episode, we were like, you can get there just by reasoning. Well, I, I do believe that, but it's almost as if it's stripped. The truth has been stripped of its name, right? Its authority and through natural deists, they, they they depend on what they can sense. Which, in the idea of Platonism or Plato, you can't really trust your senses. And so, we're in this weird, I don't know, it's it's weird to think of history in different um, eras of thought. Like, we're in a secularist, Natural deist type government situation where it's not Christian nation; it's a post Christian nation, like what apparently the French Revolution was. I actually don't know much about that history.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting to look at because there is like in principle a lot that is similar to the American Revolution, but like where it seems like culturally, at least the U.S., we leaned into the morality of our religion. They like desecrated the churches with like heinous acts. Um, the French revolutionaries? The French revolutionaries. Mm. Um, and turned them into like these debaucherous places. Mm. And and it, it's hard to even like fathom that happening in the U.S., but it's also hard to fathom like the the church in France had been so weaponized against the common man. It was like a hierarchy of yeah, like, right?
0: oppression. So it had been corrupted or something. It had been
1: corrupted. Not that what the revolutionaries did in response was, was a good thing.
0: was like I could vouch for it's like the pendulum swung to the wrong direction yeah, yeah. it's
1: like a crazy case study in like almost the miracle that America is because like left to our own devices and human nature like the French Revolution is pretty so much you,
0: you have a very very so I you' you're, you're you're speaking my language three years ago okay now I don't not love America and are very appreciative for it. However, I, I am becoming more and more kind of skeptical of the founders and the history because, you know, like I said, the history is written by the victors. That's what, that's what the saying is. And so I wonder how good they actually were. Now, I'm not, not trying to like, you know, deconstruct all of my whatever, but there is some of it that I'm like, been kind of wrecked over the last couple of years. Um, there's, here's a question. Well, within the context of like the Russia-Ukraine thing, this, is, this was a big awakening for me because I've just accepted by default, we're just the good guys, right? We're just the good guys. We're the ones that are policing the world. We killed a million people <laughs> in the Middle East during um, after 9-11 with no weapons of mass. History. When you look at all this history and you start to realize, whoa, maybe we're not the good guys. Maybe we're the imperial evil and we're spreading, you know, LGBTQ in, in Muslim countries and they don't want it. And we're like, hey, come on. And you got Lindsey Graham out there lobbying for, you know, aid to give all of these gay education things. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, if that's what this country represents, when did it turn that way or has it always been that way? I don't think it has always been that way, of course. But it makes me question a lot of what, I don't know. I used to think, I used to think, yeah, this, we are the greatest nation on earth. But then I started thinking, gosh, that's what North Koreans think. They worship Kim Jong-un. And are we that different? Like, have, do we not, is not every nation kind of um, propagandized by their government
1: to a I, degree? I think so, to a degree. I would say that what, you know, what, what do you mean by the greatest nation? Um, certainly like growing up in a Republican household, I was like, hoorah, USA. Right? Like, we are the pinnacle of civilization. Um, Just because? Well, I think because of the the people, like, you know, historically, we've equated Christianity with the founding. And so, for Christians, that moralizes uh, the USA. Like, we become, like, the moral backbone of the world if we're the Christian, you know, superpower. Um, so, that... And then also, conservatives tend to have an adoration for authority. Um, authoritarianism generally comes from the far right, and so you see that in little doses when it's like respect or the police, far left. respect well the far left, but or for other left. reasons, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, but respect authority. You respect the police officer. You 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 take your hat off when you see a veteran in uniform. That kind of thing.
0: So I agree with you that um, we are an exceptional nation, but only because of our Christianness. I agree with that. But I would say, th- I used to attribute those as like, well, you know, and you could say like, yeah, we have the constitution and it does bind the powers of the, the, um, yeah, our, our constitution is unique
1: in that it ties the hands of the governing class mm-hmm. and protects the the little guy, which is very uncommon. That's not, that's it is not right. We are norm. the
0: only country to have a first amendment, whether or not we actually have it. Right. Right. We did at one point. Yeah. And and it's kind of there. We still kind of have our Second Amendment. You know, these things are, they are restricted uh, from, you know, our governor, governor, for example. She's restricted by the federal constitution as well as the state constitution. So there are checks on power. And this isn't unique to America. This is the case in other nations. But I guess this is part of it, too. Because I am reconsidering a lot of things, you know, it's like what we were talking about in the Christian Nationalist episode. I never, still haven't resolved this idea, but not all ideas are the same. Not all, not all ideas are equal, right? Sure. Now, of course you have to use some sort of measurement tool for this. You have to use some sort of uh, objective measuring stick. And as Christians, we use the Bible and, you know, that's insufficient for a lot of people. So you you know it's it's an inconsistency that you can't necessarily. You have to use this is why the natural deists probably came into uh, prominence because they used reasoning um, through nature, truth and logic, those types of things to to get to a conclusion, which I think is good. That's dealing within the logos, which I believe is. I think know, it,
1: it can be good, but nature in its own devices is brutal and unforgiving. And a lot of things that God is not, you know? And so it's like... I think,
0: I don't know. God is pretty brutal, right? I mean...
1: Yeah, but like in nature, like animals eat their young. Now, you would never find a Christian that advocates for like humans doing that because the animals do that. Yeah. Right. Uh, You will rarely find an animal care for another species young or another animal's young when the child is abandoned. And in scripture, like we're taught that Uh, an adopted child is like literally grafted into the bloodline of the family and is like given all of the legacy of that family. Mm -hmm. And so there are biblical principles that are at odds with nature. Turn the other cheek is totally at odds with nature, you know? Um, Although like, I think that because God embodies reason, you can reason him. Like the scripture also says, if you can see the moon and the stars and the nature around you, then you have no reason not to accept that there's an intelligent creator behind existence. Um, So there's truth to it, but, like, there's parameters on that. Like, you still hit an end where it's, like, you can't just watch a Discovery Channel documentary and, like, come out on the other end, like, knowing what you need to know, you know?
0: Yeah. So I was reading this the other day. I have a question for you on this topic. And I thought it was interesting as I was doing my research on my post that I I, I posted this week. I was reading through uh, Genesis 15... And, uh, let me just read and I'll find the spot. Let's see. It says, he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So this is one of the promises God makes to Abraham. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, uh, your, you are, I think that's how you pronounce it. Your uh, in of Chaldeans of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it, but Abram said, "O Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it?" So the Lord said to him, "Bring me a heifer, a goat, ram, all these different things." The point is, he gets to a point. He says then the Lord said to him, "Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the country not their own, and they will be enslaved, mistreated for four hundred years." But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will uh, come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at an old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites. This is it right here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. I thought that was an interesting line. I'll just float with it. This is, this, is my, this is how I read it and how I'm currently understanding this. So he says to Abraham, Abram at the time, I'm giving you this land, but you have to wait. And you have to wait until that society, that culture that's already in existence in that land, you have to wait until they sin fully, until they're fully given over like Babylon, like Sodom and Gomorrah until they've sinned themselves into exhaust, and then you will take it. It's almost as if, you know, it says this in uh, Joshua, a similar principle when he says, I'll make this a question because I want to hear your your thoughts on this. But Joshua says to the Israelites, he says, if you guys don't continue on in your faithfulness to God, if you don't continue on in obedience, he'll give you over to another nation. So there's this idea through these two, points within the old testament where you know look if you if you're not going to obey god he's going to subject you to somebody who will you're you're not going to maintain this as if um a society is necessary has to be uh at least to a degree under the reign of god otherwise it's chaos and it doesn't last or it devolves quickly and so my question is is there a point when a nation is too far gone, and it's well. Funny enough, we're tackling these these topics in um, the current conflict situation. But is it is there ever a point when you you're justified in um, conquering another people, another nation? Controversial question. What do you think? Is that is that what it's speaking about? Kind of like, hey, look, you can you're going to take this land, but um, not until they're ready for you to take it over.
1: I think there's a good argument to be made for the idea that, you know, this this land will become so corrupt that now an overtaking would be moral and just. Right. For the citizens. Um, for the citizens. Uh, that's an interpretation, one that I'm sympathetic to and would like to delve into. I think the more obvious truth is that there is a sovereign God talking to his people, and he happens to be privy to things that they're not.
0: And so... So I just had a thought, sorry. There's this idea that you, you brought up the morality of conquering uh, another nation that's been given over to poor leadership and their citizens are suffering morally, physically, all, all of these different ways. I was just thinking of a condensing that down into a, like a family situation where like, you see uh, children... On the streets, um, at what point does intervention need to come in? Where you're like, "Hey, whoa, there's this child is being abused by their parents, or you know, whatever it is," to where the society or another you know family comes and says, "I'm gonna take you," where you have to step in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know that sounds terrible, but but it is also kind of like a, a moral question. At some point, it's like th- uh, to in 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 the preservation of that kid or those kids and the preservation of those citizens, because they've been subjected to the absolute depravity of the civilization, poor leadership, um, you know, kind of like us here in America, we're just being pillaged, Tax dollars going overseas to Ukraine, all these different things, moralities rampant, kids are being taught all these transgender things, whatever. At what point, it's kind of like Putin, Come, come invade, dude. You know Christian you know le- lead, strong leadership, come invade us, please, uh, I'm joking, kind of I feel like you know th- there there
1: probably is a point when it would be moral to do that, and we could probably drop on a board, you know yeah when this starts happening, do you invade and help, and I'm sure ninety nine percent of the the listeners would agree that there's a line for that, yeah, um, I would say it's pretty
0: at what point, yeah, at what question? point? well, yeah.
1: I think the issue is that the u s government uses that excuse all the time, sure, um like like. Uh, Operation Desert Storm, I believe, is where the whole idea of like this dictator is gassing his own citizens, and we've got to step in and do something about
0: it. Right. This is the premise for every single war. It's humanitarian. You have to dehumanize the enemy. Dehuman. This is what's happening. Israel Palestine. It's what happened in in nine eleven. You know these people are like subhuman. We gotta you know go and and conquer and demoliate this you know nation or whatever. And it's it just makes the,
1: it, And the justification makes the goals it makes the goals very obscure because it's like, yeah. what are we going in to do? Right. Are we going in to like seek the betterment of every citizen? Well, when does that end? When is, when, when what day does that end? And to what degree is it better? That's are a we going to wait until it's like until like the Middle East looks like, you know, downtown New York? where it's like a civilized society down to New York is its own war zone, you know? Yeah. And so to what degree? So defining so those this, parameters is really important to, to figure out like what does success look like? What is the goal look like? And then also making sure that your details, you really have to know uh, from like a nation state standpoint, the truth, which we, I don't believe are really privy to you
0: yeah. in, in most circumstances. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because there's that idea on this is that you is it possible to have a, a benevolent conquering and is it possible and obviously it's possible to have it's just the default that it's always a malicious thing to conquer but there probably there is a moral Um, I mean conquering
1: always comes with a degree of brutality so it doesn't it's not it costless does, right? sure
0: sure yeah there's a degree of force that's that's involved in conquering but, but it makes you wonder. Like, <laughs> I, this logic—if you carry it out, you're—you're. You're I essentially am justifying the uh, Inquisition. I'm, you know. Right. I was going to say it's a tough conversation to have because it's like, are Native
1: Americans better off today than they would be if we weren't here? Well, from a technological standpoint, sure. From a cultural standpoint, it'd be hard to make that claim. I would yeah. think. Unless you're speaking from like a Christianity he, standpoint, then it's like you know that now they have access access to the gospel.
0: It's like we've created in America like we're we're the fast food capital of the world. Like we all right. have these genetically modified foods, and and then you look at the Native American demographic, and a lot of them suffering from diabetes and all these different things, probably because like of the food they're eating. Here? Exactly because yeah. of the Americanized um, diet has been imposed on them just through uh, you know our proximity, I suppose. But uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's all fun and exciting things to talk about. But I think that that specifically is something I'm thinking about. You know, my uncle was um, a knight of Columbus. And I remember asking, he had like a, a, a ring because they have, I think, club rings, you know? And I asked him, I was like, what's that? And he's like, oh, I'm a knight, Uh, knight of Columbus guy. And, uh, and he, he was talking about the Inquisition. He was talking about some of these things, and I was like, "Oh, that's bad, right?" He's like, "What?" And like he, like <laughs> he looked at me like I was stupid because I was questioning it. And I was like, "Yeah, like that sounds. That's what was bad, right?" And he was like, well, "No." And so I, 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 he's passed. He's since passed, but I would love to pick his brain on it. Who has that ring? it's probably my aunt. That'd be cool to see. Yeah, you could probably look it up. Uh, Knights of Columbus ring. I'm pretty sure most people, it was like a blue stone or a red stone, but I would love to know the case for the Inquisition, the case for conquering, because I'm open to the idea. I'm not trying to conquer anybody, but you know, I am open to the idea because I'm also open to the idea of someone conquering America for goodness sake, funny enough. That wasn't the one he was wearing, but uh, that's pretty cool. Gonna have to make a Knights of Columbus Ring. Cuff. It's a Catholic order. Dude, it'd be sweet to be a uh, part of a men's club. All right, so this is on topic here. Decline of social standards. I saw this floating around uh the internet a while ago, a few days back, and I thought it was quite quite powerful, but it's right down my alley specifically in regards to quality of made goods, the way people exemplify themselves, he makes a pretty good case. Do you have it?
1: Got it.
2: I feel like there was a bit of pride to be a human being at one point. Even if they didn't have a lot of money, they still made an attempt to wear their best clothes when they went out in public. Now people just wear anything, do anything now. They wear their pajamas in the grocery store. Nobody cares. But That's but rough. Is, is like, <laughs> people at Walmart, dude. Go to don't care. Then why? Yeah, hey, I take Walmart over
1: Target. People any I mean, day.
2: Even the trains back then people took. And you look inside. I want to hear about that. And there's areas with couches and record players, like a cigar lounge. It's like little beds, and it, you know, it's like they they make it look nice. Pause it. And then people.
0: This hit me hard. Watch. Keep it up, though. Watch. Um, it just hit me hard. Like this idea of like, you do look back. I I love old things and I don't really know why. Partially because there's a story to, to the things, you know, but partially because I think things were just, people cared more about the things they made, um, either, even when they were made in mass, but this table here, this little table behind me, go full. It's got this like brass, you can kind of barely see, it's got this brass plate. It's beautiful. The text, you know, back then, I mean, you're making a brass plate like that, you got to create the die, you got to do a lot of work and investment up front, so you're going to make sure that the design's really good, because it's not like some cheap, you know, graphic design, Photoshop, someone got pirated off of Pirate Bay, and so they didn't have to have any technical knowledge, education, whatever it is. But to get that piece, they're going to make thousands and thousands and thousands of those. They're going to get the design right. Regardless, they had to do it that way. They did it. They honored the craft. It's a nice piece of brass, a collectible piece of uh, furniture. But the, I, I thought of it as like, when he said that, I was like, it's when society was so ugly. I do want to go back to the video in a minute. Um, when society's ugly, it's really just a reflection of the spiritual inwardness of its citizens hopeless you when you look around the city, you look around different places there's just lack of creativity, there's a lack of wonder, there's a lack of drive, passion, love but when i I just can't bring myself to like do something shitty. And I'm not, it's not to say like, oh, it's because like my evidence of my inner, whatever. But like, there is a degree that that's suffering. Like the citizens are suffering. It's kind of on topic, right? There's a lack of hope. There's a lack of familial connection, a lack of Christianity, moral values, a lack of drive, a lack of ambition, a lack of young men, for example, purpose. I think it all drives back to one kind of thing that we'll talk about in the very, very end, Um, and it's partially, we're cut off at the knees. It's all going to get worse and worse and worse, so why try? It's feudalism. I think that's the core of it, and I actually think it's underpinned by, um, in large part, not not wholly or solely, but in large part because of our, our theology, the way we see the world, the way we see... Um, our position in the world. This is, this goes into the other conversation funny enough because it used to be the Puritans. They thought they were going to usher in the millennium. They thought, Hey, we're going to go and we're going to bring your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. They were, they were, that was their mission. That was their hope. That was their, you know, ambition. That was what they were doing. That's where they were going. They were fueled by their vision This is powerful stuff, actually. I was listening to another thing by um, the guy I talked about. I was interested in some of his ideas, but he was talking about vision. How vision is so important. He was talking about how he wanted to be like a, what do you call that, shot put? Or like, not shot put. Is that what it is when you throw a ball? Yeah. And so he wanted to throw it in high school further than anyone. And so he had this vision and he was obsessed with this vision. And it drove him to work out all the time and he, gained weight and got super muscular and started lifting and became one of the strongest kids in the state in, in, in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, and, I, and, and it was all, he made this illustration, all hinged upon the vision. But that's the problem is our collective societal vision is not there. And it's not there because we don't have a shared set of values. We don't, uh, we don't worship the same God, you know. And also, even within the church, even within the Christian context, we don't have the shared vision. And we'll get into that more. Let's keep going with this video, but I want to—I want to kind of delve into that more.
1: Well, dude, Proverbs twenty-nine, eighteen—you know, where there's no vision, that people perish. It's interesting. It ties into like a lot of these ideas. It says we're dealing
0: that verbatim. With. I, I know I'm familiar with the um, that people perish for lack of knowledge." Yep, it does. And what's interesting too is—is is, uh, you know the
1: way society looks aesthetically is by design it doesn't happen on accident like the way buildings look the way signs look the the things you touch and interact with that doesn't happen because of like evolution someone is doing these things mm-hmm. and so when you look at like modern buildings a lot of people say oh they're just boxes they don't they don't speak to purpose but i think they do i think that they speak to the fact that the people in those buildings are insignificant mm-hmm. and they play a part in this machine right. you know right. Um, yep.
0: It's, yep. Yep. It's the leadership. It's, it's, it's from the leadership. It totally is. And what's interesting is
1: it's not an insignificant principle to talk about. One of my favorite verses is design to bring oppression, up, it, it is design oppression. Uh, one of the things I like to bring up as a graphic designer is, uh, uh, the, the verse in Exodus, Exodus thirty five thirty five. this is God, uh, calling his people to build a space that is worthy of his presence in right. the tabernacle says he filled them with the skill to do all kinds of work as engravers, designers, embroiderers in blue and purple and scarlet yarn in fine linen and weavers all of them skilled workers and designers and mm. and to me that speaks to the idea that the aesthetics these had no functional purpose these were not tools that were going to better the society as far as you know grinding more grain or providing more produce these are purely mm. aesthetic things that were so important to God that he poured out his spirit upon his people to fill them with the skill to do it excellently. Mm-hmm. And if it was important to him, then it should be important to us. And the the environments that we create, the, the, the spaces that we curate and the way that we conduct ourselves, it should speak to the purpose that we intend to serve. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's the way God exists. That's the way he conducts himself. And that's the way he expects his people to conduct themselves. And so it's... It's a significant thing. It's not just you know uh, sensitive people need their environments to be in order. There's something there, you know.
0: Absolutely. You know when you this space, I love it here. We've talked about it. I, I love it here. And when I've showed pictures on my Instagram, like I will get people saying, "Wow, I love your space." It it's in, it's um, it invokes this inner drive, this inspiration, this. It casts motivation, whatever it is, and there is there's a power to that. And when we don't have it, it you know, when we don't have that hope or that inner drive through leadership to a degree from outside sources, then we are just kind of like wandering sheep, aimless. And and for the most part, I just think it's actually so funny that we were talking about this. But eventually, with a lack of leadership within a society, governmentally, politically, whatever, and and spiritually through the church, all these different things, you're going to get chaos. And when you see a society like we're watching here in this video, that's the vision of a society. That's that's what a, a, a prop a healthy looking society looks like. They have shared values for the most part, a shared culture. Um. There is an expectation of a standard, like when you go outside, you're going to dress nice. You're not going to wear, you know, Cookie Monster pants to go get stuff. You're not wearing pajamas on the airplane. You're going to treat yourself with some level of respect and in so doing, treat all of the people around you with the same level of respect and dignity, you know, by projecting that so that everyone is in a degree elevated.
1: What's interesting is people will pit that against like authenticity. And they'll say, well, we should strive to be authentic. and Let's be authentically uh, excellent. Exactly. Like disciplining yourself and and living at a high standard is not inauthentic. Yeah. It's brave and it's strong.
0: It's almost like a subversion. I remember like there was a trend on Instagram of people like rebelling against beauty. Uh, Like, you know, because there was a trend earlier on Instagram of like people posting really cool pictures, portraits, landscapes, whatever it is. And they were doing a really good job at it. And there were some people who are like, oh, I don't want to do that. And so they would just post an ugly picture of themselves. And that's, you know, that's something. That's there's a narrative there. There's a I think a degree of check and value to that. But it's also like this rebellious, like, I'm not playing your game, you know, of beauty. And it's like kind of like kicking the ball. I'm gonna take my ball and go home, type of thing. It's like, I don't wanna play. And it's like you're it's like a selling yourself short. It's like you know what I mean? Like it's um, it's giving up, and that's not good. I'm not saying you need to compete on that level. You express yourself in your own way, but don't give up. Don't don't kick the ball. You know we're all in the same team, and so I talked about this with the Japanese thing. There's this degree of like I talked about it with the the restaurant thing, right? Where I went and I paid three dollars a a roll of sushi, and I couldn't tip because he was like, "No, I'm not going to tip you." Um, I want to treat you highly as a fellow citizen. And so I'm going to charge you what I want to charge you that I believe is a fair price. And he wasn't doing the American thing it was just like, Oh, get what you can, because the market says you can do it. You know, like the, um, uh, what was that guy, Martin Screlly, who gamed the market on, um, EpiPens? Oh Yeah. He, he He skyrocketed the price and because he knew the insurance was going to pay it, and but certain people couldn't pay it, but he knew he could do it because of the market, and so he's playing the market purely well it lacked a degree of empathy, a degree of respect for your fellow man at the at the core of it. That's where probably free market detached from morality. anchored morality in Christ it has to be anchored in something. That's right. That's where C.S. Lewis got. He's like, hey, you know, what, morality means nothing unless there's an informer. You know, when we say that's not fair, we all have this implicit, you know, understanding of what fairness is that was informed by our creator. Some would say nature, but I think we should say our creator. Um, anyways, let's keep watching the video.
2: I why they dressed up back then to go on these trains and to go out in public. And you could see how everything's nice. Every, every, every car designs made was extravagant. Beautiful craftsmanship to things. Wouldn't that make you want to dress up? Architecture. You take a train now, take a train now. There's no character to it. There's nothing about it that makes it seem like, oh, this was created for a warm, nice relaxing yeah. environment uninspired take a walk through downtown la you paper think that's pushers to be proud of you're gonna dress who up have the potential to, to be excellent store? no why why would you they let people on heroin just sit in front of the store shooting up they defecate on the street i mean that they, they allow all this well what are you gonna dress I up drive
0: by for? it every single day
2: man people used to have so much pride Look, look how clean it used to look back then. I mean, I'm sure not everywhere looked like that, but I mean, it was almost as if like there was this collective pride in being a human being, like, like shared identity. amongst their creations. Like, look, look what we've done. Look what we created. Like, it's something to be proud of. Look at the cars now. They suck. Take a look at some of the cars back from the 50s and 60s, even the 70s. I mean, they were just, like there was character to them. There's no character to these cars. Now they just churn them out. Spending time to craft a beautiful car doesn't fit into the business model anymore. Look what happened to Detroit. It was the number one car manufacturing, uh, city in America. And now it looks like a third world country cause they, they all moved out. Yeah. The entire industry moves out, done. It just all falls That's apart. good. There was a classic car museum.
0: I just don't think that you'll ever get to that point again without a shared identity, shared set of values, where you have this commonality between your fellow man. Yeah, I don't know what gets you there, but I think that is a product of people who had a shared, a communal, like, I care about who drives in this car. I care about, you know, who wears this cuff. I do because they're going to have this hopefully for the rest of their life and pass it down to their kid. I want to know that it's going to last them. I want to know that the finish is going to be beautiful. I want to know that the design is not going to tire them out. You know, it's not going to look ugly. I, whatever it is. um, Like I care about those things and there's a degree of like, yeah, I'll just that's why we're talking about these magazines. Like, There's a degree of like, I want to impress my fellow man. I want to inspire them. I want to drive them to go upwards, to be better. That was an interesting thing moving back to New Mexico. Not digging on New Mexico. There's also, it's a, there's a, there is charm to it and the authenticity thing. We talked about that with Hunter in the last episode. It's authentic here. But there was a thing that I had to fight mentally. Like, why why, why dress decent, you know? Why not just go out in my Cookie Monster panties? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, there's a, there was this feeling of the land of Minyana. It's always uh, encapsulated in that phrase. Where it's like, yeah, do it tomorrow. It's like this apathy, this doesn't matter. Who cares? It It is hard to artic-
1: articulate because it's not quite pride. I don't think that's even the right word. That's the word he kept using. Um, and it's not just about the superficial things. Like the scripture says, you know, I've clothed the the flowers when I take care of you. Why are you worried with what you're wearing? Um, but it, it is, there is a deeper truth that you're talking about, which is like a shared culture and value system that means like if I'm going to bring my best, you can bring your best. Yeah. And it's like an unspoken rule. Um, and you see this in like team dynamics. You, maybe you'll leave like a toxic work environment. You join a new team and this team, like they bring their a game and they're there on time. And they're they. there's they, a standard. There's a standard. And it's not like, it's not like the law coming down on you and like the staff handbook. And it's not like HR telling you to dress right. But you kind of look around and you're like, okay, I'm these, a part of this these team. guys are like, they're hitting it and I can do that too.
0: Yeah. That's a good analogy. Is this again, another condensed, a distilled version of like a bigger, wider society. Yeah. But it it is this, like I'm a part of this team. I love this team and we respect these rules. I think I talked about it before, but I went to this, um, this like RV resort and it's been there for decades and decades. And, um, they all, all of the people that visit, visit there, they're all from Texas, by the way. And this place is not in Texas. It's in Colorado. And um, I guess the original founder was a Texan. And so word of mouth, they never did any traditional ad- advertising or anything like that. It was just word of mouth. And so a lot of these Texans came up to Colorado during the winter or during the summer to cool off. And um, they had this that culture implemented into that place. And so us as minority visitors, essentially... I could sense that there is a, there is a team thing happening here. There is a societal, um, culture that I am a guest to. They had church, uh, church services on Sunday at the little church area. Uh, they had rules. You had to be, you know, lights out at nine o'clock, the whole park, you know, and, um, just certain respectful things. That there was no trash anywhere people paid a lot. The kids were, you know, riding their bikes safely around. No worries. The parents weren't even looking around. You know, there was this level of, they had security. It was just, there was this a high trust society built upon a commonality. They knew who they were. The guys would come by from Texas and I say, hey, what's with all the Texas plates? When the, know such a, you know, salt of the earth guy, Christian man, he's like, oh, because the owners, the original, so he told me the whole story and he cared to like sit and talk with me, you know? I was like, that's different. I love this. How can I make this here? You know? Or at least how how do we re-get there? Because it seems like we're all, it is just devolving, devolving, devolving. How do you preserve that? It's like a testament to, if if it's not
1: broken, don't fix it. Like, who cares if lights out by nine? But that's part of the secret sauce that's kept this like micro society functioning. Yeah, and so don't mess with it. Right, don't change it. Like, you know, there are unspoken things. It's like, you know, why wear a tie to work? I'm not, I obviously not. <laughs> I wore my Depeche Mode t-shirt. Yeah, no, me too. To and the I'm show not today. like wearing a suit, but right? But it's like there are certain things where it's like, you know, if it's not broken, don't fix it.
0: Right. You know. So so I saw this post on Twitter today. By one of my favorite t- uh, Twitter guys, I think it's Smash Bales, but ba- yeah, balls. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I always struggle trying to pronounce Bale. Bale. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, but he, you know, he's a good creates a lot of great Christian content, and he's a fiery person. But he posted a picture of like a you know an American Americana family going to church. Dad's wearing a you know a nice hat and a suit. Mom's wearing a dress. The kids, are, son's wearing a suit. And I was like, man, the boomer generation ruined that, didn't they? No, I, I don't want to blame anyone specifically, but there was a degree of that order that was there. And I remember even even me, you know, I've I participated in like yeah you know, wearing hats in church and stuff like that. To my dad, that was kind of like you don't do that. He grew up in the Catholic, you know, very formal, very kind of, you know, straight and narrow, strict. And um, it is just interesting that unless you're taught these things explicitly and preserved, it's it takes work to preserve something good, especially within the societal context. You know, I don't know. I pray one day my kids get to experience that in a, in that type of way, you know. But it started small, got bigger and bigger, and then you got open borders, and then you got people that don't share your values, don't have a shared identity. And it's not just that. It, those types of things are just not practically carried down. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's The equally, products of multiculturalism. It's It's
1: equally as valuable to teach your kids, like even when it's tough and even when, if we're the hyper minority, we still do what's right in this house, you know? Like, even if chivalry is dead, son, you still open the door for the girl. Yeah. You know, you because that's what we do in our home.
0: Well, you do. I guess you find your micro society. That's where you rebuild from. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually, you know, those micro societies, maybe that's the the way, is that um, in the subcultures, they become bigger and they become the dominant force and eventually that subculture becomes the conquering force (laughs) to bring it all back. Uh, Not necessarily by force, but you know, it just, it it does seem to be like that is the, um, I was going to vamp on that because I said that that's what got me started on this whole thing in the first place is that not all cultures are created equal because they're not right. I mean, some cultures are not good. Um, cannibalism, some cultures have dabbled in that some native cultures in the Caribbean, I believe dabbled in that. Funny enough, Columbus and, and, and those guys, I I guess this is the narrative. I don't even know if it's true, but that was their justification or their dehumanization of this people group. And so they dominated. Apparently they're entirely extinct, that people group. Um, I heard that recently. And so heavy um, but that culture is not the same as, say, uh, you know, a European Christian culture. It's just not. Now, there's a spectrum, but, uh, you know, to say that they're all the same is just, it's disingenuous. And at some point, we got to be bold enough to call balls and strikes and say, look, yeah, Satanism... Doesn't, what has Satanism ever produced good? Nothing. Okay, so it's it's a piece of crap ideology. And so you can judge things based off of the fruit. Jesus says that. Now, they're not going to accept that as an argument, but you can judge a tree by the fruit it bears. And Christian cultures throughout history have created the best societies, hands down. It's not to say other cultures haven't created decent societies or good societies. Um... If this is not a truly Christian country or France or, you know, the West in general, as it stands today, and it's more just a natural deist society, whatever that means. Yeah, I created a decent society, but the good that I think it uh, deserves the credit is that much that is a part of Christianity. There's my case. There's my rant. Agreed. I think that's about it. Uh, do we have, that was good. We didn't even really have much as, in regards to show notes on that, but. Um, Dude, we just straight freestyled that bad boy. That was great. Good job, man. Um, I wanted to tell this story at the beginning, but I forgot on my way here. Um, gosh, pedestrians are have just, there's like no care anymore, it seems. But uh, I saw two people and like a kid and um, his mom or something in the median right here on um, Montgomery. And uh, she had a little dog and she put the dog down on the median, not even on a leash. Oh no. And the dog just ran off into the road. No, 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 no. I didn't see it. But it le- I, th- I think the car stopped. I think it, it held up traffic. But it was like, what were you thinking? Why did you put the dog down right there in the middle of the median? Oh, my gosh. Dude, I'm noticing, like,
1: the homeless community by my house, they have the same attitude toward traffic as the pigeons, which is they don't give a <laughs> crap anymore. They just uh, they'll stare you down and, like,
0: play chicken with you. Do you carry a gun with you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, you have to, man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I always worry, man. I worry. I I drive right there on uh on my way downtown past what is it, 2nd Street?
1: Yeah, there's like a there's a couple shelters there and they
0: congregate right there on second. Yeah. And it's so you know, we talked about it before, but it's they're dying, dude. Many of them. I saw a guy there right by by our shop, just High as can be. Out of his body. Like he just, it's weird. They escape, they're not even in their bodies anymore.
1: Well, for for a period of time, it's got to be euphoria. But then, man, gravity comes back really quick.
0: It's sad. It's really sad. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, what else? I think that's it now. Listen to questions. Yep. I've got a couple here. This one's for you since I think I've answered this one. How do you maintain good work-life balance? <laughs> Dude, I don't know. I don't You're gonna know. You're going to do man. some more work after this, aren't you? We're yeah. filming this at night.
1: Yeah, I got quite a bit of work to do. Um I don't know if work-life balance is real. I think maybe you go through seasons where you give more and you take more. Um but being aware that that's happening is the biggest thing for me and articulating that to my wife. Like, hey, this is going to be a crazy couple of weeks. Are you on board? You know, um, because the worst thing in the world is like missing the expectations of your loved ones and over committing or undercommitting committing somewhere. And so for me, it's just trying to be specific in what needs to happen when it needs to happen. And just trying to like reevaluate that over and over and over again. Like, am I hitting the mark? Am I investing the time where it needs to be right now? Um, and I'm I'm sure that changes. Kids change that. I know I don't have kids right now, so my my schedule is a lot more lenient and forgiving. Uh, my wife is super understanding and is very gracious with my schedule and, and the the things I'm committed to. And uh, we try to communicate when we're like over committing to things. So I, I don't know if actual balance is real or if it's more an issue of being specific and being like tempered in how you spend your time and where you invest that energy and uh especially for the guys out there like hard work can get you through a tough season but it's also a great way to run away from your responsibilities so make sure that like your home is in order make sure your relationships are in order and then work as hard as you can and honor the lord that's my two cents.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a hard one. How, how do you feel about going into a, an election, a new election cycle, and do you have any predictions?
1: Yeah, I think there's going to be no libertarians <laughs> voted for it. <laughs> Good prediction. <laughs> yeah, I give him money on that one. Uh, dude, I don't know. It it gets crazy every time. There's did always you, weird accusations. And did you knows. see
0: that uh, RFK Junior. RFK, yeah, RFK Junior. Um, went third party, right?
1: Yeah. He's full independent actually. So I don't think he even has an official party, but yeah. Oh, technically third party independent. He kept using the word revolution, which is
0: like really fun, but kind of hyperbolic. He's trying to, he's trying to continue the legacy.
1: I think so. But then did you see his family like totally disown him the next day?
0: I did. And I thought maybe that was for two reasons, you know, that he's kind of like that they're afraid of the DNC or they're afraid of for his life. One of the two.
1: You think that's it? One
0: of those two? Yeah.
1: I, I couldn't tell. I don't know. I don't know enough about like the modern iteration of the Kennedys, but it seemed to me like maybe they're just total leftists at this point. Yeah, that's you know?
0: most likely. But I did entertain the idea. I enter, entertained the idea that he, well, obviously he's aware <laughs> he's, you know, of the risk. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Of if r- anyone screwing is. up this election for the left. I really respect him.
1: I don't yep. agree with him on every point, but he seems like a man who leads with conviction, and I can respect that. And uh, I yeah, hope, I got- hope he makes waves in the third war, third party world. Mm-hmm. Because and that's I your think, world. Yeah, that's my world. Yeah, I'm, I'm libertarian, but to see anyone kind of just go out on a limb and get public support to me—that's like the American dream, as far as like having someone represent your ideals. And to see him actually make a splash would be really like encouraging for me.
2: Mm.
0: How do you go about helping your kids understand the gospel? Yeah, that's it's hard. They're so young. My oldest is 5. I got 3 kids. 5, 3 and 1. And um I read I don't know. You know I, I think I think this is the thing I've thought about because I don't think I'm an ex- expert at this. I've heard other dads are really good at like implementing these things with their kids. And uh I think i was convicted in how i model to the kids do i do they see me talking about the lord uh things that matter scripture theology current events in light of scripture you know those types of things i definitely think so do they see me reading the bible do they see me I, I, there there was a thing about this um some dad I forget who it was, like a famous dad or something. Um, was saying that he I mean, in the morning he would read his Bible, but he'd read it on his phone. And his kids only see him like looking at his phone. So they think, oh, he's probably just on Twitter or something, you know, playing a game, whatever it is. And he was like, Well, they I want them to know that I'm reading the Bible. Is it authentic? If I like, you know, bring out a physical Bible instead and he did he started to do that and then he started to actually journal and he's just kind of mirroring his inner desire of reading and obviously modeling i think that's the answer model but modeling um the gospel to the to his kids and he in in his story was like you know he was journaling and then after his kids saw him do that he was he went to his room and he was reading his bible and he had a little journal <laughs> it's like this kind of Cool little thing. Now, of course, you don't want to do it as a hypocrite or an empty, inauthentic way. Uh, so you want it to maybe be, be backed up with realness. But yeah, I think um, I think that's that's part of it is actually just being curious and asking questions. I was reading the Book of Daniel with my son. They, we listen to this song. We go through music a lot. We'll sing songs. They they do a lot of. Christian songs, and um, but we were there's a song that I've been listening to. Trouble don't trouble. It's called Trouble by I can't even remember this Demo, Demosico, something. Some some guy. He's like a banjo player, but he he has a song called uh, Trouble Won't Last Always. But he talks about Daniel. Daniel he prayed in the morning, noon, and night, and then. uh and then it talks about how he was thrown into the lion's den and he was spared in the lion's den. Cool song. So I we were reading the book of Daniel in light of that song and specifically the lion's den thing because he was interested in that story. So I was trying to read it to him. But he's, he's just such a short attention span. I don't know. I think modeling's the best way for little kids to get it. Not that he'll ever fully get it until he's a little older, but that's my answer. All right, do we have a final video? I think we do. Give me a second here, I'll pull it up. All right. I think we had a couple. Did I only put one? I'm seeing one. Okay. Oh, gosh, what is this? Have you seen this? No. You're going to love this. I want your reaction. All right, let's do this.
2: Oh. <laughs> what?
1: Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my, God. Oh my God. <laughs> What is happening? First of all, there's way too many men at this dance and not enough women. I think that's the first issue here. There's too much like adrenaline happening. Oh my gosh! <clears throat> The sound effect's so brutal. The sound effect is so intense.
0: Oh my god. Oh my gosh. That's
1: so intense. Why did that happen? That was just like a massacre uh, of like fist fighting. That broke said- out of
0: absolutely nowhere. That no, was a it was a fight, and uh, it was it was somewhat violent. There's no blood, but definitely uh, it was like a dance, and then
1: someone nudged this dude, and he started going ham so, on all of these freaking bystanders.
0: So fun Go to the comments. And then, um, I'll have to like parental advisory on that because it is a little <laughs> jarring to watch. But uh, I'm not I'm not seeing comments. Maybe it got no replies, or is it? A, it's the tweet, right? Yeah, it's the tweet. There's no no replies.
1: Uh, I'm seeing reposts. I'm not seeing. Uh, maybe you can help me out here.
0: Let me pull it up. Anyways, it was. Um, huh.
1: I don't know if it maybe got taken down. That is weird.
0: Um. Regardless, the comments were like, he just found out that he was in a gay bar. <laughs> <laughs> and just starts going. Yeah. Because if you look at it, it's like I didn't even notice that when I watched it the first time, but it's like all guys. And then all of a sudden, this guy's like rubbing up on the back end of him, uh, back-to-back type of thing, and he's like, what are you doing? Oh,
1: that's what triggered him. Yeah. I didn't even see that. Watch the beginning real quick. I was like, there's a lot of dudes in here. Like He's he's yeah. hitting indiscriminately and not hitting any women. And
0: knocking out so many. Oh, just like going after them. There was another one. It was like, um, oh, the the matchmaking ranking was messed up on this match.
1: Oh, yeah. It's like... A dude. So he's like, what the, are you doing? Like, like kind of bumping on him. Oh, my goodness.
0: Oh, man. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, that's enough. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, my God. It just got so brutal. Hey, that's worse than UFC, dude. It's <laughs> oh, just that's straight way up. worse. And then
1: uh, the way they flail, just like limp. Oh, my gosh.
0: Thank you for watching the show. Uh, yeah. Like, subscribe, comment. Uh, Love you. Bye.